divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with a reading from my memoir, Telegraph Avenue, then first published, oh, long ago in 1977. Not only do I plan to destroy the integrity of the image cluster in my work, I intend to go for the puzzle poem, as in crossword poem and Use free association without reservation. Even seagulls get seasick. When he met this liberal fig leaf, this granulated student with an edifice complex, he told her all about the aha experience, Nietzsche, nihilism, and naked apes, but he doesn't have a car. If we could speak, what would we say? Do you remember, do you remember those babes in the wood? I think one of them left the phone off the hook. Let us consider the telephone as a sex object. Let us not. Where are the snows of yesteryear? Right here, dear, my druid blue babies, B-A-B-I-E-S, unborn, went back to the sea. It was still there. Oh, truly, Gertrude, it is very difficult to use words without making sense. In that sense, you were truly a genius because you have said what wisdom does and you have never made sense of it. Oh, Gertrude writes... Why don't they read the way I write? (laughs) Gertrude Stein said, The most important thing about the work writing is someone who will say yes to it. Alice said yes to Gertrude, so the writing continues. I need someone who says yes. A yes man. I try to say yes to myself, but there are these doubts I thought you might help me with. Oh, not you. Him. 
When I ask a him, he always has reservations, doubts. Oh, he may admit I have talent. You know, a talent of sorts. One man didn't think I had the discipline. Another didn't think I had the follow-through. He also didn't think I had the overview. The next one didn't think I'd ever get it all together. Some thought I should write the way I talk. Others thought I should write logically and use an outline so I'd get somewhere. (sighs) Another one thought I should write honestly instead of facetiously in contrast to the one before that who thought I should write satire and send it to the New Yorker because that's who I really was, really. This lover thought I should write about the agonies of love because of my passionate nature. And that lover thought I should write about frigidity. And a third about lost love. About not being loved. About him, actually. A woman told me to write about my children, about childbirth. Abortions. I was ashamed to tell her I'd I'd never had an abortion. The woman thing, a woman question, woman as victim, woman as goddess, whatever. I'll tell you what. I'll write about me. Whoever that may be, I'll call me the pilt down a woman a real fake footnote pilt down man an elaborate anthropological fraud which was discovered when errors were found in the relationship of the fragments some of which were from real human skulls Oh, damn, how do I shut out their voices? No way. Well then, use the anger. Pilt down, pelt down, what am I doing? I want to write about how much I get sick of voices telling me who I am. That's what I'm doing, isn't it? Oh, winter 1974. Doubts don't go away. What are these editors after? I study their letters. When they say a thing is wrong, they use words to describe female sexuality. Fragmented, loose, repetitious, abstract, diffuse, tangential, muted, free associative, subjective, circular, dreamlike, intangible. One, two. When they say a thing is right, they reveal their phallocentric focus. They want me to follow the main thrust, 
Stick to the point. Tighten it up. Strengthen the climax. Simplify the action. And keep the lights on literally. <laughs> Embarrassing, but it's anguish when I understand what's happening. It's not their fault, of course. Virginia Woolf says it's no use going to the male writers for help. No matter how much one goes to them for pleasure. Simon says, I'll never make it. He says, I'm always in a dither. I tell him his existence blocks me. I feel I should be cleaning his room and civilizing him. He asks, why should I care whether his laundry gets done or his room is clean? I care, I yell, because I'm your goddamn mother and I'm supposed to be responsible for your bleeding welfare. It's a voice in my head. Oh, poor head, he said. My 13-year-old descendant studies my problem. So, he says, if I'd been around the house when Picasso tried to paint, then Picasso would have turned out to be a sidewalk painter? Is that about right? <laughs> Damn, consider my male offspring. I consider history. It is just possible that if Pablo Picasso had been a mother or even a woman, she'd never have painted bleep. What the hell do you think it meant to be a Spanish woman in the 19th century? Do you think she'd even have gotten out of the house? And in most places in Spain, there would not even have been a sidewalk to paint. To say nothing of getting out of Spain, going to live in Paris... My son sets his jaw, says, gender has nothing to do with it. A real artist never lets go of the vision. I get the feeling he means that. There are no excuses. We do what we can. Results are none of our business. Nineteen seventy-four. There's more. I was born in nineteen thirty-three. The day prohibition was repealed <laughs> it was a national holiday. Nearly everyone got drunk. It was also the height of the Great Depression. I've always thought. There's a distinct relationship between alcoholism and depression. A brain boiled in booze goes soft and the bottom falls out. Of course, the Great Depression was the economic depression of the 1930s in which I was born. Not the psychic depression in which I live today, between that depression, the economic, and this, the psychic, 
there was World War II. Before that war, it was the money that mattered. After that, it was the mind that gave us trouble. I've been worming into the period of World War II during the last few years, writing poems about Dresden, Dunkirk, Hiroshima, Knossos in Crete, Nebraska, the Nile River, Calvary, Buchenwald, Britain. In Britain, there was Winston Churchill. He demanded an unconditional surrender, so the war went on and on. Those were the years of my nymphhood. The period between the age of dolls and the age of despair. I did not understand that the loss of my personal innocence was a national or world phenomenon as well. Oh, not that corruption and evil were anything new, only that they were happening to more people at the same time than ever before. Never before had so many suffered so much for so little. Never before had there been so much collective guilt. That sort of thing. No one in particular was to blame. Not me, I don't think. Not Truman or the scientists or the Nazis or anyone people knew about. I mean, they didn't know what the bomb would do until they tried it out. I felt the same way about the things that were happening in my life. I wanted to do it my way just to see what would happen. I did, and later on, I told the story any way it suited me. I made it up, the way history is made up. If history is the collective prejudices of the ruling class at any given time, then my story is the private lie I present to the world. So why is it then that the world and I have come back to a sense of sin? Not that we admit it, still. I wonder why so many of us act like flagellants, beating each other to death with explanations and protestations. Always pleading innocent to crimes we didn't commit. Men have tried to master the earth and each other. And they've tried to save the earth and help each other. We just can't leave anything the hell alone. Ancient people warned us, the artists warned us. We eat of the tree and we die. One summer, 1974. Oh, Sam and Simon and I 
are walking around Jewel Lake in Tilden Park. Simon talks a lot. He asks if we remember the winter the lake froze and the ducks slid around on their tails and do salamanders drown and if Christ was a carpenter did he make coffins and was he really a Jew or a red herring? Some sweet elderly women in tennis shoes and sailor hats ask Simon if he knows what kind of bird is the little brown bird on the water, he tells them it's a baby duck and even baby ducks have trouble landing on the ice. Sam runs into Rebecca. Rebecca is his sometimes, well... If he isn't busy and there isn't a ball game, he'll sometimes go and see her girlfriend. She has a six-pack. Sam follows her down the trail and Simon and I sit by the water. Simon talks on and on about Sam and his friends and about male bonding and silverback gorillas leading the pack. And I ask him if there isn't more to adolescence than sex and violence. And he says, of course not. Sam comes back alone and says he wants to go and see Godfather too. And Simon has to sit down front because he talks too much. I remember my mother used to make me sit down front. (laughs) A brown mallard hen is running along the edge of the lake. Her back is raw. Several larger ducks are pecking her in a determined, impassive way. Simon grabs for the hen who seems more frightened of him than of her killers. A band of black children appear on the path and chase the pecking ducks into the water, throwing stones after them to drive them across the lake. They yell after the ducks. Honk! Honky-honky, Sam and Simon squeal with laughter and join them throwing stones and screaming. Ha-ha! Other, other unpleasant words. They all roll on the ground together and snort with laughter. Over pizza, Simon considers. He shakes his head and says, He's no honky. A honky, he tells me, is a white male adult who drives around Harlem honking for a whore because he is too uh, a chicken bleep to get out of his car and walk around asking for one. Simon says that makes a lot of sense. Sam says the reason Godfather is more tragic 
than a Western is because they used to be Romans once. They're older barbarians. Simon says, no, it is the musical score, which is a dirge. And the movie's a funeral, and that's why it's fun. We have chocolate sundaes, and Simon mutters to himself. I ask what's bothering him, he says. Who in hell was the Red Baron, really? He's looking at a large stuffed Snoopy doll in the ice cream parlor. I tell him I wasn't around during the First World War. Well, neither was I, he says, and neither were the Romans. First thing in the morning, Simon is on the telephone to the public library. He asks for the Red Baron's last name, and he writes down. The Red Baron, the World War I flying ace, is named Manfred Albrecht Richterson. As they used to say in the newsreels, time marches on. Summer 1974, I carve a limestone fossil of a god laughing at my lover. It happens every seven years, transfiguration, a new self. I was uh, 33 when I met him, 40 years old now, and he still calls. I don't hate him. I'm just past caring. I mean, seven years of one-night stands with one man. I can't go on treating him like a sex object when I've forgotten where I met him. We said everything we had to say in less than a week. He's old now, cranky and paranoid and something of a bore, rather like me. Only, well, I don't expect undivided attention anymore. Oh, I demand it, but I don't really expect it. He wants me to listen to his every word. He had nothing to say when he started. He roars a lot. I have no idea what about, but the noise impressed me for quite a while. Then it irritated me, and then I thought, well, sort of sweet, now I'm bored. Sound asleep, if you want to know. Hmm. If things go on this way, looks as if I might turn celibate. I'd get lots more work done. Balzac said a night in bed, in bed with a woman, he said, cost him any number of pages. I think he said 18. Balzac thought of it as a physical drain. For me, it's a brain drain. When I'm in love, I think all the time. I analyze every word, every gesture. I pick and dig for evidence of criticism or censure or even for approval. Scratch, scratch, scratch. 
wretch. He quit years ago. He hears nothing. Oh, he mellows a little. If I lay it on with a trowel, if I act ecstatic, gratified as hell. He basks in my afterglow, but if I'm cross or gloomy, he just ignores me psychologically, never biologically. Result, I am impassable. Yes, it may be true the body renews itself every seven years, but brain tissue is permanent. It modifies, but it doesn't renew. I only get one soul. I, I know this is true because when I run into people I haven't seen for 20 years... I can get away unrecognized if I don't speak. If I open my mouth, they hear the same old nervous system. It's my father's mother's voice, I think, more than the rest in any case. It never really changes. Perhaps it's time to quit. Time to quit talking. Time to quit the other. Gandhi quit when he was 37. Seminal fluid to pituitary gland. Energy turned spiritual. That sort of thing. All that heat rising, going to the brain... For once, I could get out of a male head and into my own. It's very contemporary. Living alone, doing one's own thing, one's own thing. You've been listening to the voice of Jennifer Stone, reading from her memoir, Telegraph Avenue Then. You can listen to all the chapters in our archives online at kpfa.org. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadow Out of Hi, I'm CS Co-host of Against the Grain asking you to make a year-end tax-deductible donation to KPFA. 2019 will mark our 70th year in existence, and we have a lot of exciting and eye-opening things in store for you. So if KPFA feeds your mind and spirit, if KPFA stands out to you as a unique resource worth preserving, give today by going to kpfa.org. Thanks so much. 
Jin is a Chinese-American novelist, author of many books. He's now written a dramatic biography of ancient China's beloved nature poet, Li Bai. The book is titled The Banished Immortal. KPFA is proud to present Hajin on Wednesday, January 23rd, 7.30 p.m. at the Congenial Wheelchair Accessible Hillside Club, 2286 Cedar Street in Berkeley. Poet Jack Foley will host Hajin. Tickets available at brownpapertickets.com and our treasured independent bookstores. You're listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, as well as online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned. Workweek Radio is next.